The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, after weeks of testimony from dozens of witnesses, the fate of Harvey Weinstein is in the hands of the jury. Did the prosecution prove their case, or was the defense able to show reasonable doubt? This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinny Politan and Seema Iyer. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinny Politan here at Court TV headquarters. Seema Iyer, my partner, is in New York covering the Weinstein case. So we'll have a special guest filling in for her later in the podcast, Chanley Painter, who's actually been in the courtroom for every day of the trial, and she'll give us her unique perspective on all that has happened. But I'm going to start things off and kind of set the groundwork for where we are. And as we're recording this, the jury is deliberating, and we've had closing arguments from both the defense and the prosecution. And when you think about closing arguments, most of the trials and cases we cover on Court TV In most states, most jurisdictions, the prosecution goes first, then the defense can respond to the prosecution and then make their arguments, and then the prosecution has the final rebuttal argument after the defense. But in this case, it's much like where I practice law in New Jersey, where there's only two arguments. The defense goes first, and then the prosecution goes. And the prosecution gets the last word because we, the prosecution, that's what I was in New Jersey, have the burden of proof. We have to prove the case beyond any and all reasonable doubt. The defense doesn't have to do anything. And they make it very clear throughout the process that they don't have to prove anything. So the prosecution gets that advantage of the last word. But at the end of the day, the jury hears both arguments. Now, in this case, um, Donna Rotuno gave the closing argument for the defense. And Joan Aluzzi gave it for the prosecution. And really different styles and approaches inside the courtroom. It, it, was, it was fascinating because you had Donna Rotuno, who was more soft-spoken, connecting with the jury, but kind of planted at the podium. And then you had Jonah Luzzi. Now, remember, Donna Rotuno is not from New York. She's from Chicago, um, from the big city, but is, is not from New York. And Jonah Luzzi, time for her to do her closing argument. First thing she does is move that podium out of the way. I'm taking control of this courtroom. And she was up right in the faces of the jury, making that connection and and playing the role of New Yorker because that's what she is. And I wouldn't discount the, the power of that. I mean, we cover trials all around the country on court TV. And the way people practice law is so different from state to state, jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And I always believe that there's a level of, of home field or home court advantage uh, when you are trying a case in a jurisdiction, in a courtroom, in a courthouse where you practice all the time. And even if you're in one state, someone in a particular county will understand the way that jury thinks uh, and, and how to get to that jury, how to bond with that jury. So I, I truly believe in this case there was a slight advantage for the prosecution because Jonah Luzzi was, in fact, from New York, and you had the lead attorneys for Harvey Weinstein coming in from Chicago. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a sure thing for prosecutors. We don't know what the jury's going to do. We never know. But it's one of those slight advantages that you can get inside a courtroom. Now, both uh, Donna Rotuno 
Uh, and uh, Gloria Allred spoke. Now, Gloria Allred, famed attorney, my former anchor-in-law. She was the mother of my co-anchor, Lisa Bloom. Still is her mother, of course. Um, but she represents some of the accusers in the case. Now, prosecutors have not been speaking outside the courthouse, uh, but from time to time, the defense has. So let's take a listen to what Donna Rotuno had to say after her closing argument. It is up to a jury now. This is a close of a, a long process and a long trial. Um, I know all of us are looking forward to the day that we don't wake up and think about this every minute. So um, at this point, it will be in the jury's hands. We feel good about where we are. Uh, this is a case that should be about evidence. It shouldn't be about emotion. It shouldn't be about feelings. It's not a popularity contest. And in this case, the evidence was all on our side. And I think you can see that from the people's closing arguments today. They didn't focus on any of the issues uh, that they have here in this case. And I think that that will be telling for the jury. So really interesting what, what Donna Rotuno is saying. And this is, this is almost uh, an inverse of what you would normally get in a case. Donna Rotuno is accusing the prosecution of relying on emotion and saying that, no, we, the defense, we have the evidence, we have the facts in this case. Which is fascinating because it's it's usually the other way around. Um, usually the arguments made by prosecutors are much more factually based or at least perceived that way. I think Joan Luzzi was basing her on facts, but she was a little more flamboyant, as I said, uh, than Donna Rotuno was. And I think it was a purposeful choice by Donna Rotuno to present her argument in the way she did. To try to explain to the jury that we have the facts. We don't have to get all up in arms here. Whereas Joan Luzzi was, again, you know in the face, going up here and then back down here and and bringing every range of the way that you can make an argument to a jury. And I'm sure that's the way she tries all her cases, but that's who she is. But Donna Rotuno there kind of pointing it out, saying, and we have the facts in this case. We don't have to do all that. It shouldn't be a popularity contest. Uh, they're acknowledging that Harvey Weinstein is not a popular guy. And the way he was described throughout this trial, the guy was gross, disgusting, a pig. Whether it was whether his what he did uh, with these women was consensual or not, it was gross. It was disgusting. It was despicable, and I, I think there has to be some acknowledgement. And, and Donna Rotuno, I think, acknowledges that to a certain extent by saying this shouldn't be a popularity contest because no one's going to like his behavior, whether you believe it was consensual or not. Uh, but she says that the prosecution really didn't focus on the on the, the real issues in the case. Well, the real issues in this case are accusers coming forward and saying they've been violated. I mean, when there's two people in a room and there isn't any forensic evidence because there wasn't the reporting to police directly afterwards and there is an acknowledgement of the sexual contact by the defense saying this was consensual, right? So, so they're conceding that the acts actually happened. They're just, the, the, the only point of contention is whether or not they were consensual or not. So in, in this case, the evidence for the prosecution is the words of the accusers describing what they believe happened, what they had to endure, what they witnessed, and that's direct evidence. And we always hear criminal defense attorneys jumping up and down. Oh, my goodness, this is just, this is just a circumstantial case. They don't have any direct evidence. Well, this case for the prosecution was all direct evidence because it was the words and observations of the accusers slash victims themselves. That, ladies and gentlemen, is direct evidence. All the circumstantial evidence in this case, 
That's the defense. They're the ones relying on circumstantial evidence, which is all the circumstances surrounding the alleged attacks, the emails, the conversations, everything that is not direct evidence of the sexual contact. The only way the defense could have presented direct evidence in this case was to put Harvey Weinstein on the witness stand and get up there and testify about what he believes happened at the time of these alleged attacks. But they chose not to do that, and they don't have to do that. But at the end of the day, direct evidence for the prosecution, circumstantial evidence for the defense. So, again, this whole thing has been kind of flipped on its head where you have defense attorneys now attacking direct evidence instead of circumstantial evidence. Glory Allred represents some of the accusers. She also spoke outside of the courthouse. Let's take a listen. The prosecution began its closing argument today. And Joan Luzzi Orban, who was the lead prosecutor in this case, was at her very best. She was extraordinary. Her themes were Mr. Weinstein was powerful. He manipulated these women. And he abused these women. And she backed it up with testimony from the witnesses. And she showed that there was a pattern here of his exercising his power, of his manipulating them, of his abusing them, of his harming them. Again, that's Gloria Allred, attorney who represents the accusers in potential civil cases and some ongoing uh, civil cases. And uh, let me just address that first, because I know people are like, oh, it's a money grab, it's a money grab, but they're just out for money. You are entitled to sue someone who has raped you, okay? Think about it, ladies and gentlemen. Put this in perspective, okay? You get into a fender bender, right? On the road, someone taps you from behind. You're entitled to sue that person, right? You probably got a neck brace on. You got some soft tissue damage. You're going to get thousands of dollars. So if someone taps your bumper and you're entitled to sue them, don't you think you should be entitled to sue someone who forcibly rapes you? That's the way our system of justice is set up to work. And uh, that's why I hate when people attack victims who sue because they're they're actually more entitled than most people to sue. All right, when we come back, Chanley Painter is going to join me here in the studio. And Chanley's had such a unique perspective of this case, being there from day one of jury selection throughout the entire case. And we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening outside uh, the courtroom with Donna Rotuno getting into trouble with the judge. And then they're trying to shut Gloria Allred out of the courtroom and trying to shut her up. You can't shut Gloria Allred up. We'll talk to Chanley when we come back. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front-row seat to justice. All right, folks, we are back, and as you know, Seema Iyer is 
in New York City covering the Weinstein case. So we've got Chanley Painter, who is here at the Mothership at Court TV headquarters with me here in studio. Chanley, first, great to actually see you, like, in person. Thanks, Vinny. I almost forgot what you look like. And good to know that my desk is still in the newsroom. Yeah, exactly. We have not sold your desk. You're, you're still good. So I wanted to talk about, there, there's so many things I want to talk about, but let's focus here on Donna Rotuno, right, before the deliberations begin, writes this op-ed where she actually seems to be reaching out to the jurors themselves over the weekend before they come in to deliberate. And I was shocked, first of all, that she did this. Um, were you surprised? Were, were the people in New York surprised? And, and how about the judge? Yes, I was surprised because I was in court day one. January 6th, was that seven weeks ago, when the judge said, you know, you can talk about the case, but not about the witnesses or any specific details. So they've been talking to media, but not really at this length. This was to the jury. She implored the jury to be fair and impartial. And of course, Jonah Luzzi was quite upset. Yeah, the prosecutor, she is, she's a feisty one, right? She is. She is feisty. She has the New York accent. She's all over the courtroom. She's pointing. She's raising her voice and even interrupts Judge Burke sometimes. <laughs> it's take, you know, that's, it's kind of like that in New Jersey, but I think it's actually escalated in, in New York. And the descriptions that you, you've been giving us are, are amazing. Um, when I think of Jonah Luzzi, I think of you know, she doesn't take anything from anyone at any time. And Jonah Luzzi in the courtroom is probably the same person who's online at the deli. Right? And if you don't get right. the order right, you better get it right. That's right. She won't stand for it. And she, Megan Hast is a good kind of counterpart for her. She's not as emotional, but she does have her moments. Jonah Luzzi doesn't miss a moment to argue with the judge or Damon Tronis, whoever it is. She will stand up and she will just go, argue, argue, argue. And I wish we had cameras in there so everyone could see it. Yeah, that's the other part of this case. And, and, and obviously, I think we need cameras to see the witnesses so people trust the verdict. But the other part of it is to see a case tried the way this one, this one was tried. I mean, both sides, great attorneys, but like very passionate. Very. And over... Just the minor motions, Vinny, they'll stand up and Damon Tronis will raise his voice and yell over here or Judge Burke will cut somebody off. And the other day he didn't even let Joan Luzzi respond. She started to stand up and he, he just said, that's my ruling. That's it. Bring in the jury. Unreal. So Donna Rotuno writes this op-ed. And then Jonah Luzzi wants wants Harvey Weinstein locked up. She wants probably the, the lawyers thrown in, in jail. Uh, but the judge isn't going to do that, not at this point in the case. No, and he let, he let the prosecutor say her piece, what she wanted to say about it. And she said, look, this is akin to jury tampering. She's speaking directly to the jury right before they're supposed to deliberate. And it's improper, Judge. It's a violation even, even of the ABA rules of ethical conduct for attorneys. She wanted Donna Rotuno sanctioned for it. And... The judge said, look, quit talking to media at all until there is a verdict. Just zip it. Now, so he issues the gag order. And in the meantime, Gloria Allred, right, she represents some of the accusers. She's not a part of this case. Uh, she sits in the front row, though, right? Almost every day in the front row. In fact, during closing arguments, both sides pointed to her and said, this is who we're talking about. So the jury knows who she is and why she's sitting there every day. They see her there. And the defense tried to extend that gag order to cover Gloria Allred. Yeah. yeah. Let me tell you, first of all, Lisa Bloom was my co-anchor, and Gloria is Lisa Bloom's mother. So I got to know Gloria. 
nobody is going to shut Gloria Allred down or, or make her stop talking. You just can't do it. it. It's impossible. They tried to do it in the Scott Peterson case. No way. So how was this, this handled? This was interesting. The judge said, I wish I had that authority. We'll see you at 2.15. That's all he said. He that's it. That's it. He just summarily dismissed summarily it. Summarily dismissed it. And I actually rode the elevator down with Gloria right after that because it was lunch break. And one of the reporters in the elevator said something. Gloria, what do you think about this? They're trying to gag you. And she goes. <laughs> <laughs> she's. I mean, she's so used to it. And, and, and you know. From my perspective, you know, Gloria Allred is a, is a strong advocate. You know, she fights hard for whoever she represents. And, and that's, that's the way she's going to do it. And she's going to speak. If there's a microphone, she's going to speak. If there's a camera, she's going to be in front of it. And, and she does it, and she does it very well. So, uh, you know, it, it's part of this case because the prosecutors aren't allowed to speak. They aren't, and they abide by that. I tried to ask just a legal question, just clarification. I said, sorry, we can't talk to you. All right. At some point, maybe they will speak at, at the end of all of this. All right. Chanley Painter is with us here. This is a, a special treat. So when we come back, Chanley, I want to talk about some of these notes that the jurors have sent out and some of the reactions of these jurors so people get a better flavor uh, for these seven men and five women. We'll be right back. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. So ultimately, every trial sort of ends the same way. It's up to the jury. It's in their hands. They're the ones who have all the power. They're the ones who decide what actually happened and whether or not what happened constitutes the crimes charged. And in this case, uh, we've got seven men and five women. I've never seen them. I have no idea what they look like. I don't know how they react. I know nothing about them. But Chanley Painter is with us here right now. She's been in that courtroom since the beginning and has seen them and studied them. What would, the, what would your general description in total of this jury be? Diverse in ages and races, occupations, gender. And I, I feel almost creepy sometimes. I'm staring at them all day long trying to read any little thing from their faces. Only a couple of them actually show anything. Uh, they'll laugh. But they seem to be really bonded. They're friends up there, Vinny. They talk at sidebar. They'll talk. You can tell that when they leave and enter the courtroom. So, so when the lawyer and the judges are speaking at sidebar, the jury then turns in and talks to each other. They do. That's interesting. Uh, have you seen any groupings of them? Like, like sometimes they break into little cliques. Yes. One day they were even passing snacks across the jury box during testimony. Hadn't seen that before. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like eating snacks mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the jury box. Mm -hmm. Really? If someone had like a some nuts or mixed nuts and they were, oh, you want one? And they just passed them down the jury box. I was like, can I get that over here, please? <laughs> wow. And Judge Burke is okay with that, I guess, right? Yeah, he's okay with it. And I even think there might be. There's not a, is there a guy walking up down the aisles going, be hip, be hip. Because every New York Mets game I've ever gone to, that guy's been walking up and down the aisles. No. But, it, it, but Burke's okay with it. Yeah, he seems to be okay with that. He compliments the jury. He says he's impressed with them. One day he even said, look, usually in trials, the jury deteriorates over the weeks. And you guys have a pep in your step. You look great. Good job. 
That's well. That's 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 encouraging. You know, a four week trial can take a lot out of you. There's some heavy stuff, some disgusting stuff that they've listened to. When they've sent out some notes now, and, and the notes are focusing, at least initially, it seems, on uh, two of the three accusers. That's right. So Mimi Hale and Annabella Shiora. So far, they even requested read back for Rosie Perez, which of course was a corroborating witness for Annabella. And then lots of exhibits, Vinny. They're, they must be pouring through them even today. And there are a lot of exhibits in this case, but they didn't automatically go back with the jury. They've got to re- if, if they want something, they've got to ask for it. They do, and they've not been shy about asking for anything. And it's a, a lot of it is the emails also, right? Yes, they requested all of the emails, any and all emails between the defendant and Miriam Halle or about Miriam Halle, and the same with Annabella Shura. Yeah, this is fascinating, and, and, and this is where we, um, in, in the business, this thing of ours, um, <laughs> we read tea leaves, right? And we can't read what they're doing. But from my perspective, nothing about uh, Jessica Mann uh, at the time of this recording have they requested. And they're looking at Annabella Shiora. And, and Annabella Shiora is only relevant if you believe Mimi Halle or Jessica Mann. Otherwise, whether you believe her or don't, is irrelevant because she only comes into play as a, as a supplement to, if you believe Mimi Halle. Exactly. That's the first thing on the verdict form. They first consider Mimi Halle and her charge, her charge, criminal sexual act in the first degree. If they believe that beyond a reasonable doubt, then you go to Annabella Shiora. So if they're considering all testimony surrounding Shiora, that tells me there's a possibility that they may have said, "Yeah, there's something to this, Mimi." That's if I'm Harvey Weinstein, uh, I'm 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 not uh, optimistic. Exactly, because if they did not agree on Mimi Hale, they would have moved on to Jessica Mann, right? The next, right? One. That's the next accuser, and we've heard no requests yet for anything having to do with Jessica Mann. This is this is uh, a fascinating. Now, any reactions from this jury? Because they've asked for readbacks, and sometimes when I used to do what you do, uh, when I was a, a, a correspondent for Court TV years ago, when I was in the courtroom, was and I there was born a, then? Right, <laughs> when there was a readback, I would look and see if there was a moment like that aha moment. Like, were they looking for just one thing? What did you see from this jury during any of the readbacks? What I noticed was a lot of note taking from the jury, and it wasn't any particular point where they're at Mm. this part of the testimony and it's oh that's what I wanted to know and that answers my question it wasn't that obvious there were a couple jurors not even taking any notes seeming like they weren't interested so it seems like there's there's a lot of back and forth maybe only a certain percentage of the jury wanted to hear this maybe even one person who knows that's and that's interesting as well and when notes come out we don't know if it's the whole jury that wants to know this or if there's just one that has all these questions. I mean, if I was ever on a jury, I would just mess with the lawyers and I would send out like these random questions that would just have them so worried about what the jury could possibly be thinking. Uh, but that's just me. And I, and I still have never been on it. Have you ser- ever served on a jury? I, no, I would love to. Yeah. I, I would be a great juror. Of course we would be the best. We would yes. be like the best jurors ever because one, right. We're, we're lawyers, but we're journalists. Mm-hmm. And we're trained to be fair and impartial, although I don't always do that on my show, mm. do I? Uh, by the way, uh, Chanley, um, sometimes when you're on my show and I and I step on that soapbox, is it uncomfortable for you when when, when I'm kind of like, 
Because I, I, you know, and, no. and I'm being serious because mm-hmm. sometimes I take a position, and I know you never take a position. Mm-hmm. You are the true journalist out in the field. I sometimes throw a little bit of opinion in there, but uh, a little bit. Yeah, but <laughs> if you ever feel uncomfortable when I'm doing that, it, it, just let me know. No, you know, I do fair and balanced reporting, but I'm a human. I have opinions. I may not express them. Sometimes I agree with you. Sometimes I don't. But I don't show it. And she doesn't show it, right? Because I can never tell. Did, did I, did, you know, did I say something that made, made her mad? <laughs> Sometimes anyway. you try to make me laugh, and I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> That's the awkward part. <laughs> so, uh, Chanley, uh, overall, for people who were, were not inside that courtroom, right? That big court, it's a big courtroom, right? Huge. Huge courtroom. The experience that you had, how much, how much are you taking out of actually being in there versus what we're getting from the transcript? Like, what, is, what from your perspective, is getting lost in the translation a little I bit? I am super impressed. When I hear the readback that we're airing, it, it's like we're in the courtroom. It sounds the same. I don't know who's doing Jonah Luzzi, but it sounds just like her. Wow. So good. Even some of the witnesses. Well, that's good to know. All right. Good stuff. All right. Well, Chanley Painter, great to have you back here at the Mothership. Um, Glad to be here. And you'll be back in New York, perhaps, if this jury does not reach a verdict um, this week. We shall see. Anything can happen. Anyway, folks, uh, when we come back, I'll try to wrap things up here for you on the podcast. We'll be right back. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front-row seat to justice. So as we uh, wrap things up here, I wanted to take a few moments to kind of look at where we are, what a verdict means, and what happens next. And let's begin with the verdict. And when you think about this story, this case, this trial, it's, it's yeah, it's about Harvey Weinstein. It's about whether or not he gets locked up for the rest of his life or walks out of that courtroom uh, momentarily free. Uh, but it's about much, much more because we know what this story did in terms of reigniting and really uh, the, the whole Me Too movement and the way people think about it and the way people talk about uh, issues in the workplace and just issues, you know, every day, uh, you know, men and women interacting and, and men of power, how they interact with women and how bosses interact with people who work for them. And it's an important conversation. And, you know, the one thing I think that has already come out of this is that uh, I think there's much more people are much more conscious of, of the way they act, what they say, what they do. And sometimes they make a joke out of it. But, you know, there's truth in humor. So when someone says, hey, maybe I, you know, we have to sign some forms here, it, at least now everyone's thinking about it and people understand it. And at the end of the day, you hope that people and women who are victimized will feel empowered to come forward, uh, to feel that people will take their allegations seriously and they won't get swept under the rug and they will be believed. And, you know, for people having the... Um, you know, the strength to, whether in the workplace, to go to HR or to go to someone else in power where you work uh, so you don't have to be subjected to that. And that's the one side. You know, the, the other side is, like, if you believe Harvey Weinstein's been wrongfully convicted and that the Me Too movement has swung the pendulum way too far to one side, there's a lot of people who are, are scared. And, you know, there's, there's parents who have 
um, you know, children, whether you have daughters or sons that are in college, are all thinking about this now. If you have a son, you are warning them. And, and you're telling them, first of all, treat women with respect and no means no and all of that. But at the end of the day, be careful. Be careful. And if you have daughters, obviously, you're, you've been telling them for years, but um, telling them to speak up for themselves and be strong. And we will believe you. So it's changed so much in, in society already. But now let's think about the two potential things that could happen here. Guilty versus not guilty. And it could be something in, in the middle. But if he if he's found not guilty across the board and wheels himself out of that courtroom with his little walker with wheels, uh, what does that mean? You know, will people have less trust in our system of justice? And I'm afraid that's a possibility. And I'm not saying that it would be an improper verdict by the jury because guess what? There were no cameras in that courtroom. I got secondhand reports about what the testimony was. I read the transcripts, but I didn't see the witnesses. And that's the problem with this case. With no cameras in the courtroom, a verdict comes out, there is more skepticism and less trust in that verdict. Whereas if you had actually seen the way all the witnesses testify and saw all the cross-examination, I think you might understand why the verdict comes back one way or the other. But I can't, and you can't. It's only the people who were actually inside the courtroom for the entire trial. And the ones that were paying the most attention were the 12 jurors. But that's my fear, that whether it's guilty or not guilty, is that there won't be trust in the system. If it's not guilty, people would be like, oh, yeah, the rich and powerful get away with it. And if he's guilty, it's like, oh, yeah, he was guilty before the case even started. And all this is based upon not actually seeing the trial. And that's a shame. And that's a real shame. By the way, if Harvey Weinstein, whether he's found guilty or not guilty, he does have another case pending in California, in Los Angeles. The announcement was made right at the beginning of this trial, which was unfortunate on many levels. Um, but he'll have to stand trial out there. It hasn't been arraigned or anything, so that's down the road. But if he's found not guilty here and these charges are gone, then L.A. is going to have to figure out a way to get him into their jurisdiction and arraign him and set bail and go through everything that we went through in this case, and then you'll start anew. So uh, he's not out of the woods if it's not guilty. If it's guilty, they're still going to uh, deal with the case out in California. But remember, he's facing, again, the potential of life in prison if he's found guilty of these predatory counts. So um, this thing is not over. When the trial's over, it's not over for Harvey Weinstein. Uh, but we'll have a much better feel for the way our system of criminal justice sees these charges. And remember, 80 women came forward. Not all of them alleged crimes. A lot of them alleged uh, improper behavior, harassment, things like that. So at the end of the day, remember that the, the burden of proof and the standards and, and what you have to prove to, to lock someone up for this behavior is much more difficult than suing someone for sexual harassment. All right, folks, this is the Court TV podcast. I also have a television show on Court TV every day. So does SEMA. If you have one of those digital antennas, you may get Court TV and not even know it. 
And that's because you need to rescan your antennas because we are popping up in new markets around the country uh, each and every day. So we may be in your city and you may be able to watch us, but unless you rescan your antenna, you may not be able to get the signal. So please rescan and don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. We'll see you next time. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.